0: Hello and welcome to the Elm Park Rolls podcast, supported by Blue Collar Street Food. Well, it's a bit of a summer update on transfers and the situation at Reading Football Club and also the impact of Covid on the whole world, including football. Today, I've been joined by Jacqueline Stanley from Radio Bar Show. Hi, Jack. Hi, Paul. And I've also been joined by Matt Joy from the Reading Chronicle. Hi, Matt. Afternoon, Paul. Afternoon. So let's get straight into the transfer action that has actually happened or players leaving the club. We've obviously seen Gab Osho leave the club and we don't know his destination yet. And we've also seen Tyler Blackett sign on a two-year deal for Nottingham Forest. Matt, what
1: do you think of Tyler Blackett leaving the club? I think with Blackett, over the last season or so, the level of his consistency and his performance levels have been good. Um, I've been impressed with him. Um, but then if you take a step back and look, maybe when he first joined, he never quite you know, made the place his own. He never quite got into that team and, and really showed what he could do. So he's had that consistent season now uh, and it is something for him to personally build on. He's got a good move himself to Forrest. As for Reading losing him, it's frustrating because I feel it, we're only, we're, we've only seen the best of him over the last sort of season or so. And now we're getting rid of him. Um, it, it feels like, you know, we persevered, we persevered. And as soon as we're starting to see the rewards, you know, we lose out. So it, it's a frustrating one. But as you mentioned, Gabe Osho, I think for me personally, that that is a more frustrating uh, situation. And, and a, that, that I think, might come back to haunt Reading a little bit more than Blackett. With all due respect to Tyler Blackett, as I said, I think he's a good player. I think he'll do a job for Forrest. Um, and I think his, um, he's, you know, flexible. He can play a number of positions. So he has got, you know, he has left a hole in the squad, which you'd hope uh, Reading will fill. But um, yeah, it's it's a it's a strange one. You, you you would have felt that Reading may have tried to do a little bit more to keep him. I mean, there was discussions prior to the the coronavirus pandemic of you know him not signing the new deal, and there was that sort of uncertainty. I think you've got to sort of take the situation pre-COVID and post-COVID. Um, it's the kind of two separate entities because the situations for all players have completely changed. So, uh, yeah, it's a frustrating one because we it's been coming for a while. But perhaps it's, uh, it's just something we're going to have to accept given the, the precarious financial situation of the club. Yeah, uh,
0: the COVID world is just oh, it's just changing everything for everything. And football thinks it's immune from all these situations financially. But it isn't, is it, Jack?
2: No, it really isn't. And, you know, this it's made what was already a precarious situation for Reading financially, a hell of a lot worse. And if you look over the last couple of seasons and financial fair play, it's that buzz phrase that keeps getting mentioned. The fact that going into this season, uh, even though Reading were okay last season on financial fair play for the previous three years, it's actually the last two that are going to be the real killer for them. And they need to have a massive swing from quite a large loss to quite a big profit this year. And if they don't achieve that, that's when they're going to get hit with the big points deduction. It could be another, Sheffield Wednesday. It could be another Wigan, albeit in a very different situation to Reading going into next season, and it's really tricky at the moment to see how they're going to square that circle when it comes to trying to sort out the financial situation of the club that it appears has been quite badly managed over a number of years.
0: Yeah, totally. We've had multiple CEOs. Uh, we've obviously had Ron Gale. We've now got Nigel Howe. But the fact that we're in such a bad financial position, Jack, and you obviously had the news about John Swift today on Radio Berkshire. It doesn't make any sense why we're not selling him on a financial sense. On the pitch, it makes complete sense. He's a quality player. But tell us more about the John Swift situation.
2: Well, I was just really keen this weekend to try and find out a little bit more about the John Swift situation, because we've heard over the last couple of weeks that there was going to be bids for him, potentially from Sheffield United. We think that maybe Sheffield United made a couple of bids, but they were well below what Reading were willing to accept for John Swift anyway. And then it all went very strangely quiet so um, I've spoken to someone who's close to both John Swift and his agent over the weekend at at length actually about this and the situation as they see it and what I've been told is that there were positive discussions ongoing between Swift and his agent between Reading and also a third party now they weren't um, going to confirm with me who that third party was but there was one club where positive discussions were ongoing with them Since then, it's all just gone very quiet. And I've been told that John Swift and his agent are now just being kept completely in the dark. If there is interest in John Swift at the moment, then they're not being told about it. If there are clubs interested, apart from that first club, that showed interest and they had positive discussions with, they don't know about it. And at the moment, it appears that Dai Yong doesn't want to sell Swift. So the owner has stepped in and said... Swift is not going anywhere. We're going to keep him here sort of whatever the cost. And that goes against what had been happening earlier in the window, which is Nigel Howe beginning to facilitate these discussions with another club between John Swift. And that's not to say that Dai Young and Nigel Howe are lockerheads with each other. It just shows that potentially what happened earlier in the window has now taken a different path with Dai Young wanting to keep Swift at the club. And it appears as well, from what I can understand, that John Swift is not going to try and force this situation by handing in a transfer request, like Liam Moore did a couple of years ago. Yeah, definitely. The situation
0: with selling players, though, we've seen it, as you just mentioned, the Liam Moore one. We've seen it with Yaku Meite. We've seen it with Danny Loder, And now we're seeing it again here. Um, it just worries me slightly. We've got mixed messages. I'm not saying there's a huge conflict at the club and it's all going terribly wrong behind the scenes, because I'm not saying that at all. But if you have the CEO saying one thing and going in one direction, which seems to financially make complete sense, and Nigel Howe, you cannot doubt his ability as the CEO of Reading Football club's Proof over many years. And uh, the problem is with Dai Young; he seems to have a very. His heart is in Reading, but financially, <laughs> it just concerns me, Matt. Do you feel the same?
1: I, I think I really agree with your point on the the contradictions that we're hearing from the club. I mean you look at going back to the Gabe Osho situation after or towards the end of the season, you know, I asked Mark Bowen, I said, is Gabe Osho in your plans for next season? He said, you know, contract talks are ongoing. He's one of the players that we really want to build one of the young players. We really want to build the future around. Um, I was then told uh, by a source close to the player, the salary that he was being offered, which I I wouldn't repeat because it's not my place to repeat, but it was a, an insulting offer. I'd say if it, if it, it, it was true. And, So you you have on one side, you have Mark Bowen saying, you know, we want to build around these young players and we may be forced to sell, you know, first team players like John Swift, like, you know, perhaps Liam Moore later in the window, players like Kush, Kasmeite, you know, they may be in the shop window. But when you're hearing from the manager that he wants to build around the youth team or the youth players coming through with clever signings, I think uh, the signing of Josh Laurent was a really good signing. I think that's the sort of signing we need to be bringing in. You know, he's stepping up that level he'll be hungry to prove himself. That's exactly what we need but when you have the manager saying that you know these are the young players that we want to build around with you know blending in the experience of players like you know Morrison uh, alongside Tom McIntyre for example there's a good blend there but then they're being let go and you're hearing that we may need to sell first team players but then now we're hearing that John Swift isn't going to be sold at any price or you know unless a a, a large offer comes in and you just think well is Bowen being told this from the higher-ups is, is it, it, it seems like a, a contradiction of what Bowen's saying and then what's actually happening. Um, and, and in fairness to Mark Bowen, like he's normally very, very honest, I, I feel. Um, I might take some flack from some Reading fans for saying that, and I'll, I'll take that on the chin. But, you know, you ask him questions, and he he's open, you know, with the Odi Ajari situation at the end of the season, he said, look, we might not have the money to do it. And I think that is, that's a good thing, to have that transparency. But then it seems like all that, not even that good work, but that work to sort of try and give the fans a little bit of an understanding of the direction the club's going in over the summer. I mean, you know, the, the thing that I've heard most about over the summer has been the new kits, you know, the, the, the constant messages about, you know, buy the new kits and okay, that's all well and good, but you know, the fans are, some fans have become disillusioned because they feel that there's a lack of direction in the club and the club needs to do more to, If you want to go for the youth players, and and that's the the policy you want to go for, do that. If you want to trust the more senior players, players like John Swift, financially, maybe that's not the most sensible option, but at least there there might be a plan in place. But at the moment, it's just, yeah, there's contradictions left and right, which is, uh, I don't think, helping the club at all.
0: Yeah, it's a rather scattergun approach, isn't it? Like it has been for the last few years, um, under multiple CEOs, managers, I just the way it is at the club... One player that is consistently linked with Redden Football Club and obviously played for us last season and was possibly spotted training on Saturday <laughs> was Ovi Ajaria. Now, this led to much consideration of the deeper meaning of him being there, obviously. Jack, what, what is actually happening there? Why is he still training with us, but he's not actually our player?
2: Well, I think you have to go back 12 months initially when... Reading initially signed Ovi Ajaria on that season long loan where they had a deal in place to buy him this summer. Like that was all done. That, that in theory should have just been a tick box exercise at the end of the season. And Ovi Ajari joins for 2020, 21 Now as has been reported uh, elsewhere, including in the Chronicle, the, the issue has become that potentially Reading can no longer afford that deal that they struck 12 months ago. Obviously 12 months ago was pre COVID. We didn't have any of these kind of financial problems that we had. So, it, it, it strikes me as bizarre in, in a way if that was Ovi Ajari that we saw in that video it certainly looked like him that you know the, the issue is, is sometimes fans and us in the media hear things a long time after they've happened you know if Ovi is training with them he could well have signed a deal they could well have worked out something with Liverpool already and the club are just sort of waiting to announce it at a particular time um i mean they haven't had I mean, we've had the kits, but they haven't had a lot else to mention in the last seven days, so it would strike me as bizarre that they wouldn't do it last week, but they might do it this week when we've got the Carabao Cup and the fixture release. But um, it, what I would say for Reading fans is I think it's a good thing that we potentially have seen over your in that video because it suggests that things, if they're not already at their destination of getting in for next year, they're certainly well on their way. Yeah, they do appear to. <laughs> I mean,
0: that's a player I'd love to see playing for us. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm taking my financial head off here completely, <laughs> just thinking as a fan, because, you know, this is ultimately what it is. He's a, he's a fantastic player, isn't he, man?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, he has that ability to get, to get fans off their seats, even when he's not necessarily close to the penalty area. And there's not many players that Reading have had in recent memory that can do that. He is, you know, wonderfully gifted on the ball, his close control is a joy to watch. Um, My only uh, Slightly My slight worry with Azaria Is when things As we have seen especially in the home games This season when things do get tough When teams get on top of Reading When they press them high He does perhaps have a tendency To not have that same influence in games Now If Reading are in a situation By the end of the window When a number of first team players have left And it may appear to be more of a struggle this year you need players who will obviously you know, stamp their authority on the game from the off, no matter what. So he is a joy to watch, by all means, and I'm a big fan of Ovi And When he's on his, on his game, he's one of the best players in my lifetime I've seen play for Reading. But that being said, you know, we need to get that every week, or at least we need to get the, the same level of application. Whether you don't get the end results, well, that's, that's football, you know. But as long as you get the, 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 that same level of application... Then I would have I would have no issues, you know, with bringing him. But as you said, the financial aspect of it, it, it does make it somewhat, you know, confusing um, as to you know whether it is an affordable deal. I, I understand that the the hold up has been a restructuring of the the wage, uh, you know, his his um, well his wages, uh, putting it simply. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, he's a fantastic player, and you know, when he's on song alongside John Swift in the middle of the park. Especially, I look back at Sheffield Wednesday away. I believe, um, please do correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I remember that game that the whole midfield were just a complete joy to watch. It was so fluid and it was and it was brilliant. But then again, sometimes you see the contradiction on the field where Reading had this tendency to just bypass the mid- midfield entirely, and I feel that that's more in home games when it's you know just a, a sort of long ball up to Yakumate out wide for him to flick on, and it's just you need. If we do bring in Jaria, one, he needs to ensure that, you know, that, that level of um, application is there week in, week out. And Reading do need to get the best out of him. And to get the best out of him, he needs the ball to feed, he needs midfielders to support, you know, he needs to be able to bring in other players. Uh, and at times last year, he probably wasn't given the opportunity to do that because he, he didn't really have the chance.
0: No, no, I agree. It's all fair points on Jari. He's definitely not a complete player. That's for certain. Anyone can see that in him. But there's a lot of potential there, isn't there? Yes. Maybe his final pass needs to speed up sometimes and all these things that hopefully with another year's experience comes along to him. But I must say the one player in each shoot that has always been in the team is when Lucas Jao got injured, there was not a backup player there to come in. Now, Jack, you spoke to Pedro Mendes' agent uh, maybe two weeks ago now about the possibility of him moving to England. Uh, What did he say to you? Uh,
2: Not a great deal, I must admit. (laughs) Uh, He was very non-committal. He had said at at that stage, he didn't want to comment on the specific speculation linking him with Reading, but that, and he used these kind of very vague terms, he might come to England. Now, I got the sense when I was chatting to him, you kind of, you read between the lines when you're chatting to people. I get the sense that both agent and player want him to move to England at some point. They're hoping that they can get that move through. We've seen this week that potentially surplus to requirements at Sporting, alongside Tiago Alori, interestingly. I don't know whether Reading fans will take him back. Um, And I just feel that at some point they will try and step that up. No contact had been made at the point that I spoke to Pedro Mendes' agent between Reading and Pedro Mendes. That could well have changed since, in the time that's elapsed since I spoke to him. But as I say, I get the sense that they want to try and push through this move to Red, well, to England at some point, and Reading is definitely one of those clubs on their radar. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see on that
0: one. So it looks like a, a more of a Reading kind of signing, if you ask me, historically as a player with a point to prove. Seems to fit the mould. He's a young player. Obviously, he hasn't played much senior football, which is always a little bit of a worry. But then we've seen Yaku Meite, and he's come in and done quite well because he had never really played for PSG. So these things can work out. So going into next season, what we realistically, as we sit now, let's not worry about the transfer window closing in October because that's way too far ahead. As we sit now, I'm thinking survival is the target, Matt.
1: Would you agree with that? I think it's tough to tell given how precarious a lot of clubs' financial situations are. And given that COVID is such a, well, it's an unprecedented situation, we don't know what will happen within the next month or so. Uh, and clubs don't know. So a lot of clubs' plans have gone out the window. So as well as Reading are, you know, facing difficulties, clubs around the country are as well. So I think survival is, is, uh, defin- would definitely be the target. But for me, I don't think necessarily I'd be focusing on uh, aiming at a specific league position. You know, I wouldn't say I want to be in the top, top half or, you know, in that middle third. I, as, a, as I've kind of alluded to earlier in the, in the podcast, I would just like to see a direction. A clear strategy and a clear direction, and if that is bringing in the young players, as Bowen has previously, you know, referenced, I think the results are obviously important. But I think Reading fans would be more willing to accept the, res- you, you know, a lower position should if there if there was that clear structure and that clear, okay, we we've got a plan in place. I mean, you look at all the clubs that are successful in this league, just looking at this year. I mean, you look at Leeds. Their plan is clearly, you know, being very methodical with their preparation for every game. We've heard about the work that goes in from Marcelo Bielsa. Uh, With Brentford, they had a okay, they obviously missed out, but they had a clear strategy of bringing with Reading. I just want to see a strategy in place, I just want to see, and that also transfers to on the pitch. If one week we're seeing a performance, let's say like the Sheffield Wednesday win, like the Preston win away from home, like the Fulham win on New Year's Day. And then we go and see a, a Wigan at home. It's complete polar opposite. So I think if Reading get that consistency, that would be more pleasing to me than necessarily finishing 12th as opposed to 18th. If there was a clear idea, I just think at the moment, Reading, are, it comes across a little bit that it's just like a season by season. We just, it's every every season's a one-off and there's no plan. So I just want to see the plan go into place. And, and you know, for either that be Mark Burns to be backed in the transfer window, obviously it's difficult at the moment. But yeah, it's tough to say, obviously, you know, with Sheffield Wednesday, you know, the points deduction as well, you've got to take that into account. They'll be struggling and, and a lot of clubs will be struggling financially. So it's very, very hard to predict, but I would be happy just to see as I said a clear direction a clear style of play and an adaptability in the team because as you alluded to when Reading lose, lost their focal point in Luke Shaw up top there's no one to come in and replace them so then you think okay w- there needs to be a plan B that's as long as there's a something there for Reading fans to kind of hold on to and just say right even if the results aren't there I mean you look at uh, Leeds United away last year we lost 1-0 but Reading played really well and well, not, obviously not really well because they lost. But, you know, it was a, it was a relatively impressive performance. And, I, you know, I was driving back and I, I had no qualms with it. Sometimes you're beaten by the better team. And if Reading do lose a number of first-team stars this year, there may be more games like that where we're going to be the inferior team, more so than last season. But as long as there is that the style of play, the clear style of play, the clear strategy, uh, both on and off the field, that's what I'm looking for in the upcoming season.
0: We want to see less firefighting, don't we? Every single season, it seems to be the same. We need yeah. to sign a striker. We need to sign a striker. Every single window is the same. And I'm sure it's the same for loads of clubs throughout the whole of the country. We're not unique in that at all. But one thing we need to massively improve on, Jack, is the home form. The lowest
2: amount of wind, home wins in
0: 100 years of league football. I mean, that's atrocious, isn't it?
2: And that is straddling both when fans were in the stadium and when fans weren't as well. It's a record that has transcended what you might anticipate that home fans getting on your back or potentially a Modayski stadium that isn't full. There's something really quite odd about that statistic. And maybe it's that Mark Bowen's got into his side that going away from home, you have absolutely no fear, but there is potentially a mental block when they're playing at home. As I say, though, I do find it bizarre that even when Reading are playing at home without any fans, that is still there. It seems almost counterintuitive, that. And no, I no, just, I totally agree. It's, yeah, go on, man. I
1: was just going just gonna to add to that. I completely agree with that point. And um, one of the games last year, um, he may not thank me for saying this, but uh, Mockbone was in the um, in the reception area where we walk in to go into the media entrance. He was talking to, I assume, a friend of his. He, once he'd seen me, he hushed his voice. But, you know, it... I could see, I could see a, a look on his face, and from what I was hearing, it was he was confused as well. It, it's you can't blame the supporters, and previously, even in seasons, uh, maybe a couple of seasons ago, when we didn't have Club 1871, and there, there is a much better atmosphere than there used to be. So you can't blame a lack of atmosphere and perhaps the away fans getting on top because a lot of the time, you know, Reading fans match the away supporters, so you can't blame that, and. It's, it's bizarre, and perhaps that may be uh, some of the players who've been there for a longer, a longer period that have now moved on. They might have had this sort of deep-rooted um, and an ingrained acceptance that at home, Reading aren't as good as they are away from home, which, as, you've, as Jack said, it's, it's bizarre, and I'm sure that's the million-dollar question, and if there was an instant way we, that we could amend that, that would be the first thing that the manager would be looking to do. But that's when players need to take responsibility. That's when the captain needs to take responsibility. You know, you look at some of the goals we conceded. I think it was the Brentford game. I can't remember the name of the player who scored, but um, the the ball ricocheted off, I believe, no, Raphael parried it out. And their player managed to get in front of three or four Reading defenders and tapped. And it's just, you look at it and you think, is there this sort of ingrained acceptance of, okay, you know, it will do, because at the end of the day, they've been, players who've been there for a while have been rewarded for mediocrity. And that's by no means, you know, as I've, I, I did a column on it a couple of weeks ago and I looked at Gareth McCleary, for example. Gareth McCleary was completely within his rights to stay out of his contract. Reading offered him the contract and I do not blame him for doing so. He was on a decent wage, uh, a wage that he probably won't be offered elsewhere. But where was the, you look at it and you think, what warranted that contract in the later stages of his Reading career? What warranted players like Lucas Boy and Aide Masika, their contract extensions after the, uh, or the loan extensions? They were barely played, you know, they were bit-apart players. Why, I think, it may, it may not work, but it may be, I, I would have pleaded with Mark Bowen in that period when Reading were mathematically safe at the end of last season. I would have completely gone with a, a, a young team, a young setup, uh, and try and ingrain these young players into the first team. Because when you look at players like Michael Alisi, he's fearless. You know, I remember against Nottingham Forest, it was, uh, you know, a, a, quite a raucous atmosphere. They were really, you know, on, on, a, on a bit of a roll at that point. Away at Leeds, he was exactly the same. You know, he got the ball, he took the ball to the opposition. Uh, and that's what that gets the fans off their feet. But at home, there seems to be this sort of, whether it's an acceptance or just a, you know, it's, it's bizarre that players don't seem to want to do that. So whether we'll see that evolve with a, a new look team, perhaps, but that's, that's the main thing. I mean, it just seems to be there's been an acceptance and a, and it may be because, you know, Reading fans aren't the most critical. They're, they're very, you know, and, and that's by no means, you know, we're not the biggest club in the division. We don't have the biggest, and you know, that's just a fact you know, you look at players like or teams like Leeds United. I remember going up there, and when the team coaching, there was hundreds of people lining the streets waiting for the coach, and that's real pressure. Maybe because Reading fans or Reading players don't have that same level of pressure, that same level of expectation. Um, they might just accept, a, a or you know, feel that they can get away with this this level of, yeah, as I said, mediocrity and a sort of the bare minimum at times, and that's not good enough. At the end of the day, that is not good enough. And when it, get, when it goes right, Reading players have shown that they can do it. Look at the Charlton game during the lockdown period. 1-0 up, dug in, very lucky to get the win, but, you know, really battled for it, dug in, battled for it. Fulham, Preston away. Reading can do it. They've got the players that can, when required, step up and really and I don't want to sound like a dinosaur and say it's all about passion, but there needs to, that needs to be the first thing that gets ingrained into the players. That And perhaps it may be a situation where the players thought they are very safe in their contracts. That might have changed with the COVID situation. You know, they might be saying, well, we're going to be rewarded, so that level of application might not be there. Hopefully, if we see the level of application improve, because I feel that that's what is letting down the home form more than anything, is... I mean, the amount of times you see Reading under the cosh for two minutes and Morrison or you know, one of the centre-halves will get it and as I said earlier in the podcast, just play it up to uh, Yaku Meite on the wing for him to flick it on, they regain possession and come again and put us under the cosh. Reading needs to stand up and be counted more, take more responsibility and, and I, I can't see why, it's, it's bewildering, but that is what's needed.
0: Yeah, totally. Know. I can tell you're a Reading fan, Matt. I can feel it. Did <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, give it away? <laughs> you, uh, I can feel your passion there. No, it's great. It's great. It's exactly what the podcast is all about. So it's a kind of I don't know. It's a, I want to be optimistic. I remember speaking to uh, AD on Radio is saying he's optimistic, and on the podcast, and I was slightly thinking, "Am I really?" I'm really going to go with it. <laughs> it's kind of
1: <laughs> why not? Last too Yeah,
0: why not? Because I want to be optimistic, and I can see what he's saying and. When I said survival, probably, yeah, that's a bit negative. When I look at all the other clubs at the bottom, like Luton, Barnsley, and the Pointer Ducks and for Sheffield Wednesday, we probably will be fine. But it just concerns me because financially, you don't know where the club are going to go. They could get into a much worse situation. And yeah, it just worries me with the owner and the decisions that he's making with our financial situation.
1: But I think perhaps if you look at the flip side, perhaps the current situation and the current unpredictability and that sort of... We, you know, no one would have ever thought that the football bubble would burst a year ago. You know, we always hear, I heard these warnings that football's a bubble waiting to burst. You know, this is it's unsustainable, but it was always at the back of our minds. Now that it's not going to, you know, burst, so to speak, but now that these, it shows how fragile football is. And, you know, that's, I think that, that might be a blessing in disguise for Reading. You know, this acceptance that, the not the bare minimum, but as I said, but, you know, there might be this now at uh, uh, the higher ups, they might, okay, right, well, you know, it can change in an instant. No longer can we just get away with, you know, the same, because it's been Groundhog Day, with the exception of Yapstam's first season. I think the last four or five seasons have been Groundhog Day. It's been a, you know, a, a, a promising start. We'll hear the same. And when, you know, when it's a, a bad run of formula, the same, uh, same words coming out from the players, you know, we know it's not good enough. I think. We all maybe we all took the club for granted. Maybe the players took playing in front of fans for granted because I, I know the the players would be missing playing in front of packed out stadiums as well. As much as the, you know, so it's maybe it is a blessing in this god. Maybe next year we'll see a more of a desire to when we get back to a relative normality, we might see a you know, we're very lucky to be in this situation and we need to work to, to maintain our situation. So that could be a way of looking at it if you do want to look at a kind of a a glass half fullness. I could be completely waffling, but I haven't been stopped yet, so I assume not too much. Uh, <laughs> no, so, yeah. i got to
0: say, on this home form, I think they need to see, and maybe they are doing this, they need to see, some kind of sports psychologist, because it's really becoming an issue, and it spreads throughout the team, and it doesn't matter if you're a new signing, it affects them very quickly, because the atmosphere, and the mood that they've got in that group, I mean, they need something, along the lines of Steve Peters. He's worked miracles for lots of sports people. And something of that type, and this is not me kind of being flipping about it, I'm serious, because I don't know what it is what's happened there. It's a complete mystery. If it mystifies the manager and the players, as a family, just sit there just completely confused. <laughs> but, so, yes, thanks a lot for both of you for joining uh, me this week. I really appreciate it. And obviously follow Matt Joy on uh, Twitter and Jack Weeks Stanley. You probably do already, but <laughs> top, top people. All right, then. Uh, thanks a lot, and uh, we'll be back soon. Cheers.